So we're drawing to the end or towards the end of our uh, journey through uh, the letter, the first letter to the Corinthians, uh, this church that was in this town called Corinth, an important town, a port town, uh, a town sort of in Greece. And we know that uh, Paul spent about 18 months there and a church was born and then he moved on as he so often did and they seem to have contacted him. And they uh, sort of asked him various questions. How do we live out this new faith? What do we do? And he responds and he gives them lots and lots of different uh, discussions, different points, different things to think about uh, in relation to the questions that they asked him. And uh, when Richard preached, he, he used the uh, sort of uh, image of uh, sort of being in a railway carriage and um, somebody speaking too loudly on their mobile phone and you're just getting one side of the conversation and you sort of, you can then think, well, I wonder what the other side of the conversation is. It's a little bit like that when we read 1 Corinthians. We are reading one side of the conversation, the other side we must just um, put together from what we see uh, in the letter. And um, here in 1 Corinthians 15, we do get a little bit of that uh, because in verse 12, uh, which we didn't read this morning, uh, Paul says, if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, <clears throat> how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So it seems that for at least some Christians in Corinth, there was some question as to whether either Jesus had been raised or whether we would all uh, be raised. And Paul uh, writes 1 Corinthians 15, which is a beautiful, beautiful chapter. If you've not read it recently, I'd encourage you to do so. It tells us so many wonderful truths about the resurrection. So there is this half a conversation thing going on. Some have said there's no resurrection Paul tells us undoubtedly that there is. But there seems to be something more going on here than just answering another of their questions. As his letter begins to draw to an end, it seems that Paul wants to remind them, remind this little group of Christians of the truths which they have received and in which they have believed. It's almost as if he wants to raise their eyes, raise their eyes and say, look, we've talked about um, food offered to idols. We've talked about tongues and we've, we've talked about um, how worship should happen in a, in a fitting and orderly way. We've, we've talked about uh, whether women should have their heads covered or long hair and all this kind of stuff. We talked about that. Good and important things. But here, towards the end of the letter, let's say, look, what is it all about? What is it that you have believed? What is the heart and the centre of what makes us people of God? And he says it in remarkably simple terms. It's here on the screen for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Two verses, verse three and verse four. 
What I received, I passed on to you. So you get this remarkable and beautifully simple summary of the message he has preached. And if you are wondering, is there a couple of verses I could learn that would give me the heart of what it means to be a Christian? Well, we've got John 3.16, for God so loved the world. But we've also got here these couple of verses. And they are certainly good ones to put to heart. Because they sum up the heart of the message. And as so often is the case in the Christian faith, it is profoundly and deeply simple. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul wants us to know that he hasn't made this up. Those words that he begins this little phrase with, for what I received, for what I received, he says it earlier in the letter when he's talking about the Lord's Supper. He says, for what I received from the Lord, I also passed on to you. That on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and, and so on. He's already said that these are things that he has received. He's not made them up. They have been handed on to him. And as you probably noticed, in this little summary here, you get according to the scriptures twice. It's only two verses, and it's said in both verses, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. There is a real sense of fulfillment going on here, that what has happened to Jesus has, of course, been predicted in the scriptures do you remember when Jesus uh, appears on the first Easter day and he walks with the two uh, friends to Emmaus and he asks them, what are, you, what, are you, you know, what are you talking about? And they say, are you the only one who doesn't know? Do you remember how Jesus replies? How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. There is this deep sort of truth that's held within scripture. That scripture keeps fulfilling that the promises of God given to Adam and Eve, to Noah, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, that they keep being fulfilled and renewed. In a few uh, weeks' time, we'll remember again uh, the preaching of John the Baptist. And you remember the way the Gospels uh, invite us to see John the Baptist. They don't say, this funny bloke appeared in the wilderness. They say, a voice crying out, in the wilderness coming a course from Isaiah chapter 40 when the people were in exile in Babylon and the voice of God came to them and said I have not forgotten you there's going to be a highway across the desert the mountains will be leveled and the valleys lifted up and there will be a highway and all flesh will see it just as God has kept his promises to the people in exile and brought them home. So God is going to keep his promise again and he's going to bring them home 
but this time not from a physical exile, this time from the most profound exile of all, the exile of sin. Scripture keeps fulfilling its promises in this beautiful cycle of patterns, and, and, and it's just absolutely wonderful as it points forward to the, to the bringing together of all things when we shall be the children of the King in glory with him. You probably know um, that there's a, there are, there's a, the Church of England gives us a special prayer to say each week. It's called the Collect. Um, we don't use it very often. Uh, but there's this Collect, this special prayer that's, that's said at one point in the church's year. It says this, Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, help us so to hear them, to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them that through patience and the comfort of your holy word we may embrace and forever hold fast the hope of everlasting life which you have given us in our Saviour Jesus Christ. Scripture promises all that would happen. But it's also more than that, isn't it? Paul is saying, for I received... For what I received. In other words, he's spoken. He's been with other Christians. He's been with other believers. They have helped him to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And you see that very early on in the life of when Saul becomes Paul. He deliberately goes and spends time with the leaders of the church. For what I received. It's good to learn from our brothers and sisters, isn't it? throughout the world and across history. One of the things that the church in the West is just waking up to, I think, over the last maybe 10, 15 years, is that many of our brothers and sisters are under persecution. Churches in the Middle East and in parts of Africa. It's easy to look at them and think, isn't that awful, they're being persecuted. But actually... Maybe they are not the persecuted church, but the persevering church. The church that has stood firm and stands firm. The church that has so much to teach us about what it means to stand firm against a hostile culture. Our culture is not hostile in the sense that it will arrest or imprison us, but it is hostile in terms of its obsession with consumerism, with materialism, with, with the sort of freedom to choose. We know that we are up against it. And maybe our brothers and sisters in these other countries have so much to teach us. Churches which, of course, have been around much longer than ours. The beautiful truth that the church was at home in Syria and Egypt and Ethiopia long before it ever came to our funny island on the north edge of Europe. So many things that they have to teach us. For what I received. The, the scholars call this tradition. And, and you think of tradition, you think of boring old things, okay? That's not what it means. 
Tradition is the history of the people of God, held in scripture, but also held in our shared wisdom together. For what I received, I passed on. And what is it that he passes on? That Christ died, that he was buried, that he was raised. Simple truths, but also that these simple truths mean something. That Christ died for our sins. Jesus died for our sins. It's, it's, the older I get, the more I realize there are, there are two things that human beings cannot escape. Two things. One is sin, and we all know that. And the other is death. We cannot escape these things. They are fundamental realities of what it means to be human. Jesus has died for our sins and he has risen again. That is why we are people of hope because he has dealt with these two fundamental realities. He has died for our sins and he has risen again to conquer death. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried that he raised that he was raised on the third day. And as I say scripture helps us to understand these beautiful truths. When we look again into the Old Testament, into the Hebrew Scriptures, we see uh, the forerunners of all that Jesus does. We think of the Passover lamb, sacrifice so that the people of uh, Israel could have freedom from Egypt. We think of the sacrifices for sin that they are given in the tabernacle. We think of the role of the high priest. We think of the one who makes things right. We think of the one who liberates, who gives their life as a ransom, the one who buys back our freedom, the one who conquers sin, the one who stands in our place. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. We don't have to be great theologians to see that the scriptures give us different pictures. How do we understand all that Jesus does for us? It gives us pictures that we can understand that as Jesus dies on the cross, he dies for our sins. And as he rises again, he conquers death. Now, please don't misunderstand me. If you're somebody who loves theology and who loves to find out all the different things, then great, you Go for it. Theology is, is, is like a, a, a river, a beautiful river that is safe enough for mice to paddle in and for elephants to swim. If you feel like a theological mouse, you go paddle. That's brilliant. And God will bless you. 
If you want to be a theological elephant, you go and swim. And it will be deeper than you will ever know. That's the beauty of God's truth. And he will reveal it more and more to you. Christ died for our sins. So Paul has received this. And he is rejoicing that Christ has died for our sins. But there is a beautiful final piece of the jigsaw. It goes on. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Paul, despite everything, wasn't some kind of dry academic trying to sort of write things down and, and, and help people to understand and, and it's all very sort of dry and academic. He is somebody who has been transformed by an encounter with the risen Jesus. You remember in the book of Philippians, he, he, he lists how many blessings he has as a, as a Jewish person. Wonderful, wonderful Jewish upbringing. And then he says these incredible words. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Jesus tells parables, doesn't he, about the pearl of great price or the treasure hidden in a field. And Paul has found it. He has met the risen Jesus. There is no substitute for it. And Paul experienced it. And his life was transformed. There's part of me this morning that would love to ask you, to write down on a piece of paper, why are you here this morning? Why are you here? Please don't get me wrong. I'm more delighted than words can say that you are, okay? More delighted. But if I were to ask you, why are you here this morning? How would you answer that? Why are you here? It is colder than it should be in here. And I'm really sorry about that. Doing our best, okay? It is cold. It may be uncomfortable. You may not get a cup of coffee afterwards, okay? There, there, there are all sorts of inconveniences that you have had to overcome to be here this morning. Why are you here? I think I'm the only one in this building at the moment who gets paid to be here, okay? You lot are here because you've chosen to be here. Surely, ultimately, there can be only one reason. Because in some small, mysterious way, in a way perhaps you can't explain or you can't articulate, you have met the risen Christ.
you have encountered him. And by encountering him, your life has been transformed. Things begin to make sense. Things begin to have a purpose. Things begin to fall into place. In the words of amazing grace, I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Because at the heart of our faith is some beautiful truths, but actually is always an encounter, a relationship, an ongoing adventure of discovering who Christ is and how his life touches ours and makes it the better. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we all have to have some kind of Damascus Road experience. When I first came to St Christopher's, one of the church wardens was a, a lovely, lovely young Christian man called David Payne. And uh, I tried really hard for him to become a vicar, and he went off and became a Baptist minister. So what can you say about that? I asked him once, when did you become a Christian? And it was almost as if David was waiting for that question. Okay, he was waiting for it. And he beamed at me, beamed at me and said, I have always been a Christian. He couldn't remember a time when Jesus wasn't there. Couldn't remember it. Brought up in a lovely, lovely Christian home. And he just, well, I've always been a Christian. Now for some people it would be like that. A, a, a beautiful, gradual journey. And, and, and one day you realise, yes, of course, I've always been a Christian. For other people, there will be a point. For other people, there might be lots of little things, just little things, where you felt the whisper, the presence, the moment. And you think, yes, there's something there. But at the heart of our faith is this encounter, this relationship this adventure, this moment when we meet with Jesus. What do I want to tell you as we come to the end of our series on 1 Corinthians? I want to tell you that ultimately it is about the love of God poured out for us in Jesus that he has died for our sins and he has risen to conquer death and that we have the opportunity to encounter him. You knew that at the beginning, didn't you? You didn't need the series to tell you that. But through all these ups and downs, all these things that Paul talks about, he is trying to articulate and embed and, and make real the truth that God has reached out to us in Jesus. And he has begun the work of recreation that one day will take root and take place in the new heavens and the new earth. And somehow we are now called to live like that now as it will be then. In our relationships with one another, in our relationships at home, in our, in, in our church life. To live now as it will be then. And it's really hard. And people get it wrong. And we hit all sorts of bumps. So we need to be reminded. 
Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to all sorts of people, and even to us. Amen.